Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. Last week, Grubby shared a word from Sandra Falkenstein about uh, when you get to the threshold of what God wants to do, there's always that extra level of resistance that gets released. And... um, it's been one of those weeks. <laughs> Grubby and Trish get COVID, you know, disrupts all sorts of plans um, for uh, the vision night and different things and um, all sorts of things at home where they rob your emotional and physical energy, you know, the dog getting fleas, you know, different appliances breaking down, those kinds of things, you know, you've all been there. Uh, so, so, you know, that word was timely for me because I realized, huh, maybe not all of this is uh, purely material. Maybe there's something here the enemy wants to use, even if there are just material circumstances, to rob emotional, spiritual energy so that when it comes time to worship together with the saints, that there's not much left in the tank. But, you know, what we've been doing this morning as we worship has just been declaring that we're not going to stand for that. Right? And so, huh. I have a message to share with you this morning that is the culmination of our Profile of Passion series. Um, Pastor Grubby would have been sharing this uh, over McCungy this week, and, and Bob has filled in for him. Um, but this is going to bring our, our series to a close. And what we've been looking at through the course of this series are the things that God is passionate for and that we should be passionate for and a number of different aspects of what we mean by passion and godly passion and all those things. And so um, as we close the series today, I want to focus on a passion uh, and another passion that we should all be entertaining as believers, and it is to do with this thing called worship. And so specifically, we want to look at what the nature of New Testament worship looks like. And so the title of the message today is The Anatomy of Worship. So anatomy is a biological word. Uh, Every human body, every organism has an anatomy. It has constituent necessary parts that are required for it to function. And When you read Scripture, when you read the New Testament, the most prominent analogy that the Apostle Paul uses for the church is that it is the body of Christ, right? There's a number of different analogies that he uses, but the one uh, that he seems to to keep going back uh, to over and over again is that the church is a body. It's an organic picture that he's using. In other words, the church is not primarily an organization, but an organism, The church isn't just an organization. It's actually, in God's eyes, an organism. And so we're going to focus this morning on uh, the form of New Testament worship um, as it's described in the pages of the New Testament. And so what does New Testament worship actually look like? And you might begin to ask, as soon as you hear that, you might begin to think, well, you know, Doesn't every Christian church practice New Testament worship? Well, yes and no, in different ways. Um, In some ways, of course, every church that is genuinely Christian is grounded in the truths of the New Testament. 
But that doesn't mean that every church um, intentionally tries to shape and pattern its, uh, its forms of worship around what's written actually in the New Testament. Now, I'm not suggesting that we do all of that perfectly, right, before you think that that's where I'm going. <laughs> but, um, and neither should we assume that when you read the pages of the Bible that you can just simply, you know, cut and paste into your, your, your life in 21st century America. Um, you can't always completely replicate the, the, the uh, literal words of what you're reading because time changes, culture changes, situations change. And so, um, you know, there's various cultural, historical, even theological reasons that many churches, um, and even the church as a whole, has moved um, away from some of the things that we see practiced uh, or, or described in the New Testament. For instance, um, according to experts, the first century church um, did not have video announcements <laughs> or Sunday school. <laughs> and so, um, you know, at least according to the archaeology. <laughs> but what we want to look at this morning is, okay, what are the main components of worship as it's described in the New Testament? Why does God have a passion for them such that God ensured that they were inscribed in Holy Scripture? Because we know that Scripture is giving us everything that's necessary for life and godliness. So, so what is it um, that God is so passionate about in what he ensured was written into the pages of Scripture? And then how does it apply to us? Why should it matter to us? Right? And so, when you get into this topic, being a charismatic church, as we are, um, the church that charismatic uh, streams of, of um, faith tend to use as their model for worship is the church at Corinth. Um, more than any of the other New Testament churches that are described, uh, it tends to be the church at Corinth for charismatics. Now, if we were in a, uh, you know, more conservative, uh, uh, reformed church, um, it might actually be the church, you know, the, the disciples at Berea who sought the scriptures. And, you know, I've heard those kind of, and actually I've been in some of those settings where the church at Corinth is a little bit like, ooh, we don't want to be like them, you know. <laughs> so um, it's not that every stream of the church takes this as its um, uh, starting point, but I think Charismatic churches, Pentecostal, Charismatic, that whole stream, um, Dallas Willard described um, the essence of what that means as uh, the belief that everything you read in Scripture is literally livable, um, which is, I think, a great way to describe the essence of what it means. Um, but the reason that we turn towards the church at Corinth that we read about in First and Second uh, Corinthians is that this is the church that we find most extensively, most exhaustively uh, described in the pages of Scripture. And not only is it the best description or, or the fullest description of how the early church actually did worship, um, but when we look at the writings of the church fathers, when you look at, uh, th these are uh, some of the, the early church uh, um, <clears throat> leaders, and, and we, we call them church fathers from the second and third century, and you read people like Ignatius and Irenaeus and Tertullian and Justin Martyr, um, they tend to describe similar things that we read in uh, the letters of first and second Corinthians. 
They tend to confirm what we see happening in that church as a normative pattern of what was happening um, in the church in those early centuries. And so, in other words, the way that the Corinthian church worshipped, um, it seems to be that that was the way the church worshipped uh, for at least two, three hundred years after the church's inception. So, when New Covenant Christian community started 40 years ago, next year, um, we decided we wanted—I wasn't there, but uh, <laughs> we, because I'm part of the we— um, <clears throat> we decided that we wanted to worship like that. You know, it's in the Bible, which is uh, a decent place to start when you're planning a church. Um, <laughs> but, um, the most complete and practical description of any uh, church's public worship is in the letter of 1 Corinthians, especially between chapters 11 and 14. And so when you, when you read the Apostle Paul's perspective, uh, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He had spent about two years there planting the church, discipling leaders, and, and um, equipping them to lead the church after he left. Uh, he spent longer there than most of the places that he went. Um, and so it makes sense that this is his kind of fullest treatment because he knew the church very intimately. Um, but when you read Paul's perspective, um, this is what we get. All right, so this is the first point. The essentials for a worshiping New Testament church are devotion to the presence of God, the celebration of Eucharist or communion, and an ordered flow of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So the presence of God, the celebration of Eucharist, and an ordered flow of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So uh, we've done teachings recently on the presence of God, so I'm not going to uh, get into that ground, but as we get into this, I just want to make one connection that we often uh, ignore or we, or we don't uh, notice, and it's this connection between Eucharist and the practice of the gifts. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, starting in verse 27, Paul begins to talk about this analogy of the church as the body of Christ. And he instructs the church, he, he's talking about the, 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 the sharing of Holy Communion, of, 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 uh, of the Eucharist, and he instructs the church on how they should be soberly and sincerely approaching the Lord's table. So this is what it says in verse 27, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now those are strong words. They're quite mysterious words. If you, if you have a sense, if you've ever experienced the holiness of God, then words like that in Scripture, they, they, they give you they give you a sense of the, the, the correct fear that you should have in his presence. You, see, you read the Bible and people encounter God, almost always what happens is they fall on their face in fear, right? Because God is holy. He's holy, holy. He's not just holy, holy. He's holy, 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 thrice holy. All right, so um, this is the point here, all right? When... when 
when Paul says to discern the body, he's talking about two things. He says we need to understand the importance of a right relationship with God who is holy. And so when we're coming to uh, the Lord's table, when we're coming to the taking of Eucharist, we need to uh, approach him with the right sense of who he actually is. But then secondly, we need to understand and maintain a right relationship with one another. There's discerning the body in reference to God, and there's, there's discerning the body in reference to the church, the body of Christ. And, and the two are interconnected. And so um, the, you can summarize the point in this way. The health of our worship is connected to the health of our relationship with God and with one another. The health of our worship is connected to the health, not only of our relationship with, one, with God, but our relationship with one another. This is, this is why you find Jesus saying in a couple different places, and especially in the book of Matthew, he says, if, if you are going to offer your, your worship, if you're going to offer your, your gift, and you realize something's wrong between you and your brother, either they have, they've got something against you, or you've got something against them, he said, leave the gift at the altar and go fix it with your brother or sister and then go back and offer your worship. Because the, the, the nature of your worship, the health of your worship, the quality of your worship is interlinked with the quality of our relationships. So Paul even goes so far as to say, if we ignore the importance of this, this relationship between us and God and relationship with one another, he, he actually says our physical health could be in jeopardy. Now that's, that's quite a statement. <laughs> that goes, uh, you know, um, and so when he goes on, he, he's, he's introduced this analogy of the church as the body of Christ, and now he, he begins to develop the picture as he, as he goes on, and um, what happens is, as you read it, he moves kind of seamlessly into a discussion of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in worship and the inner workings of the body. So uh, in chapter 12, which is going to be our main passage, um, you know, a lot of times, I'll just give you a quick Bible, uh, well, really, you know, just book reading tip. Um, <laughs> do you approach any single book um, by reading like a couple lines or a single chapter out of order, you know, at random times. It's not a very natural way to read a book, is it? Now, you, you do approach scripture in that way sometimes, and, and, you know, there's reasons for that. Sometimes you want to go deep, you know, there's, there's different methods. But at least one of the primary methods of reading scripture is that we should read books of the Bible as books. Read, the, read it as a whole book. And, and if you've ever... Try this. You know, you, you can pick something like Corinthians or, you know, one of, the, one of the letters. You can sit and read it in one sitting, right? And I guarantee you, if you do that, you'll notice very different things, very different connections than when you just read bits and pieces in isolation. Um, I do both, so I'm not, you know, I'm not disparaging one or the other, but we, we do need both. And one of the things when you read this uh, letter as a whole is that you, you begin to see, even though we, we split up, okay, chapter 11, this is about the Eucharist, and chapter 12, this is about the body, and 13, that's about love, and 14, that's about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but actually, it's, it's all one passage. It's all one, um, 
overall narrative that he's building. And we've got to remember, there was no chapters or verses in the original manuscripts. Um, and so when you put it together, what you see is Paul is interweaving the discussion of these things. Um, and his train of thought hasn't changed from chapter 11 to, verse, uh, to chapter 12. All right? This is all about the nature and practice of the, the corporate gifts of the church, the corporate worship of the church. The presence of God, communion, and the gifts of the Spirit, um, they're not disconnected in Paul's thinking. They're interwoven. And so what you can say is that Paul is arguing that this kind of worship, this, this, this kind of worship that interweaves the presence of God, communion, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this is the kind of worship that is designed to make the church thrive. The combination of those things. So let's unpack that a little bit. We're going to read from chapter 12. Um, we're, you know, we're going to go back on what I just said and read one short passage. And um, <laughs> uh, Chapter 12, verses 12 to 28. Um, and this is Paul's anatomy lesson. And remember, keep at the back of your mind that this is all about um, the church's worship. Okay, so starting in verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. I'm just going to interject a couple things as we go here. So the Greek word member here is melos. Uh, it, it, it could also be translated song. Um, and it's the word that we get our English word melody from. And so there's an idea here in the text that each tone is a member of the same song. So there's, there's this musical idea, this harmony um, of, of unity. Um, and it says, uh, they are one body, so also is Christ. That is, together we model Christ, Jesus uh, the Messiah. Verse 13, for by one spirit we were all baptized or immersed into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we were all made to drink, you could also say imbibe, of one spirit. And so it's interesting, we're, we're, there's water inside and out. We're immersed in water and we're filled with water. And he's saying that inside and outside we are one. Verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many it's that harmonious unity again. 15, if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. So he's saying the foot doesn't have the prerogative to declare uh, who it is and how it fits. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, and, and if the ear says, because I am because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. So j just notice there in those two organs, um, the organs that are most jealous of each other are the ones that seem to be most functionally alike. So you've got the hand and the foot, and then you've got the ear and the eye. Um, verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? 
But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And so, uh, looking back at verse 16, unlike the eye and the ear, uh, these members are completely different from one another. Um, But even though there's this diversity, there's still this interdependence. Verse 22, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker, are necessary. And here the word weaker is is vulnerable. Um, Your eye is more vulnerable to damage than your foot. Um, And yet your eye is, is, you know, so necessary. Verse 23, And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. That Reading that verse just now makes me think of when I, I... I'm meet with Grubby uh, for mentoring uh, regularly, and, and I asked him, you know, tell me about the days, the early days of, of New Covenant. What was it like? You know, tell me, tell me about how God was moving in those times. And he said, well, um, because of the size we were at that time, we were such a family. Everyone was always in our house, um, and anytime someone passed away, it felt like a member of my own family had passed away. Whenever someone had something to rejoice about, it felt like it was my own family that I was rejoicing with. And so that's a, it's, it's a beautiful picture of what Paul is talking about here. When one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed or ordained or, or set in and anointed He has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. So, Paul is giving this kind of anatomy class to the church at Corinth. This master class in discerning the body, understanding the issues of unity and diversity and how important we actually are to one another. And so, being that we are the kind of church where we say we value the manifest presence of God in our worship, we really need to take note of what Paul's talking about here. Because engaging in the presence of God, as we already saw, it's, a, it's more than just an individual connection with God. It's, it's interwoven with our connection with one another. It's more than just engaging the presence of God. The wholeness, the completeness of our worship is also engaging one another's presence. And so, when Paul is talking about true New Testament worship, he's talking about the, the, the analogy that is closest to every one of us, which is our own body. Your body is a harmonious unity of organs and, 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 and <clears throat> what he calls members working in unison together, 
They're not the same, they're distinguishable, and yet they all need to be present working together for the body to function in the fullness of how it's meant to function. And so, this is not just an individual affair between us and God. We need one another to experience the fullness of what New Testament worship is meant to be. And so it's more than us just engaging the presence of God. New Testament worship is engaging the presence of God in such a way that God will speak and act through his body. And um, John Wimber used to instruct his pastors. He said, in order for worship to be complete, God has to move on and through the congregation. Worship should end up in us doing the stuff. I like that. So here's the point. Worship is the place where Christ, charism, the charismata, and community meet through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's by the power and the unity of the Holy Spirit that these things converge. And so, you know, we're asking why is it that God is passionate for these things? Why is it that he, he ensured that they were written in the pages of Scripture? Why are they valuable for us today? Um, He desires for this kind of unity to be present so that the church can become everything that it was meant to be. And here's the thing. So we're talking about um, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we let you guys know that we're going to be talking, uh, we're going to be providing prayer for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And um, recently, Pastor Bob gave a message. It was, it was uh, everyone hatha hatha. And he was talking about the, the you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit for you as an individual, having power in ministry. And so um, that's not actually what we're talking about today. We're talking about the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, yes, for the gifts of the Spirit in operation individually in your life, but also for the work of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be present, to bring us together in unity. That is why God ensured that this was captured in Scripture, that this was instilled in the early church. He's not just... Um, this, this is true. It's not less... What I'm about to say, it's not, it's not less true than this, but it, it's beyond that. He's not just trying to find a way for us all to get involved and feel valued. That's not the full picture of the reason why we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not just so that we can all get involved. Um, he does it so that we can have a unity that binds us together and that uh, we see the increase of his kingdom. And so what it means is this. Here's, here's the point, that when we isolate ourselves from one another, what happens is we rob the church of its power. When we isolate ourselves from one another, we rob the church of its power. So, one of the ways that you see this happening is that we, we can begin to build this attitude or, or this kind of way of seeing things where, if you're not careful, you begin to see um, the only value in other people is to the extent that they're useful to you right? <laughs> we begin to see other people as useful to us or useless to us. And then 
what happens is you can, you can even end up spiritualizing that to justify it. And what Paul is saying here is when you, when you think about the fact that we are a, a, an organism, right? Every member is important to the organism, even if the other members don't realize it, right? The foot has no idea what the eye does. It doesn't mean the eye is not important. And you could say the other, the other way around. Paul is saying that when you, when you go down the road of that mindset, it's, it's, it's sin, first of all, but it, what happens is it begins to rip the body apart. When the body, the members of the body begin to isolate from one another, not only do they lay, you know, like a, a lifeless organ on the floor, but it also robs the body of the power that it's meant to have. So here's the thing. Verse 18, um, he makes it clear uh, that even though he's talking about things that apply to the whole church, he does make it clear that every church has its own unique anatomy. We talked about, we did a, a series on, on our DNA as a church. Every, every church, just like every body, has its own DNA, its own characteristics, and yet um, there are these common denominators across every human body. And so it's God who chooses the anatomy of our church, just like it's God who chooses your anatomy. And our differences are actually divinely ordained, and they're important for God to work out his purposes. Now, when I think about that, this might convict you as it convicted me, but how often do we look at people who are different than us and we see them as blockages to what we think the Lord wants to do or what we want him to do? <laughs> we look at other people who are different than us and we, we, you know, we, we, we clash a little bit and we think they're a blockage. Lord, just get them out of the way, right? And yet what Paul is saying is perhaps that person in their differences is divinely ordained in your life to actually not be a blockage, but to be actually the avenue that God wants to use to bring about what he wants to do in your life. <laughs> you know, it's like um, <clears throat> when, when, when you got like a, 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 a picture all these stones with kind of rough edges in, in, a, in a container if you shake it up and all those rough edge stones are shaken together and are hitting each other and all the, the, it has the effect of wearing off the, the rough edges, right? But it's through the clashing. It doesn't happen when they just sit there on their own, right? Community is the place, you know, how, for how annoying community is because it involves people, Right? Community, God is community. We can only express the fullness of the image of God in the context of community. <laughs> That's a whole sermon right there. So let's look at how Paul describes um, the argument of the foot, who is jealous uh, in verse 15. Um, the foot is being excluded. Why is the foot being excluded? Well, it's not that the body is excluding the foot as part of the body. It's not the body being exclusive. Um, it's the part of the body. It's the foot excluding itself from the body. The foot is excluding itself. 
And so it would appear as if, if we could analyze the relationship between the, the foot and the ear, uh, they seem to be excluding themselves based on jealousy, based on some sort of misunderstanding, um, which we know historically are things that only happen in other churches <laughs> to other people, right? Um, but thankfully, this will equip you to go help them, all right? <laughs> what happens is, if, if you're a, oh, this is going to sound wrong, but you know, if you're a, if you're, <laughs> There's no good way to say this. If you're a foot person, or if you're, if, if you're a foot, um, <laughs> and you begin to compare yourself to another part of the body, and you see that they're different, um, and, and, and you begin to exclude yourself based on that, um, this is what Paul's describing. This is the kind of thing we see happening all the time. All the time. Now, guys, I'm not saying... I'm not saying that the body never, you know, is, is exclusive in any way. I'm not talking about that. But what I, what I do think Paul is saying is that this is more often the case. Um, he's giving an insight into the more common dysfunction within the, the body of the church. And he says that when we, <laughs> we get into trouble whenever we start excluding ourselves, and the way that we begin to exclude ourselves, we begin comparing to one to, other people. We begin comparing, we get jealous, we get unhappy about how God has made us. And the result, he says, is that we begin to fail to discern the body and our place within it. You see that progression? And so <clears throat> that can lead to a whole host of issues. The one thing it can't lead to is unity. And it can't lead us to true worship. So you ask, okay, well, what can make all this work? Well, Paul tells us in verse 13, he says, by one spirit we were baptized, we were immersed into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we were all made to imbibe of one spirit. In water baptism, we were baptized into the body of Christ. But in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're made to imbibe that same spirit. So we're dunked externally in it, and then we, we, we drink it in uh, internally. And, and, you know, someone will say, well, Ian, when I became a Christian, did I not receive the Holy Spirit? Yes, of course you did. You absolutely did. And um, as Grubby sometimes says, um, just because you got God doesn't mean you got all of God there was to get. <laughs> And actually, Scripture talks about uh, uh, be continually filled. And so there's, there's <laughs> being filled with the Spirit is not a one-and-done experience. And so <clears throat> to be baptized means to be immersed, but it also means to be soaked in. It means to receive the Holy Spirit within and without. Uh, the prophet Joel prophesied that my Spirit will fall upon you, and then Ezekiel prophesied, I will put my Spirit within you. And so this morning, as I mentioned, we, we, we want to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, for the, the infilling, the imbibing of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're in a place where you feel like, God, I just need more of you. 
because I look at the disunity, I look at my own feelings, I look at my sense of comparing myself to, to other people, I look at my sense of inadequacy, and, and I know that that's only serving to exclude me. It's helping, it's, it's locking me out of the purposes that you have for me, but Lord, I, I can't seem to do it. This is the answer. We need more of the Holy Spirit. This is the only way, because this, this unity is supernatural. This unity is beyond what is accomplished just in the flesh. We need the Holy Spirit. And so, why are we doing this? It's in the interest of renewing our passion for something that God was first passionate about for us. And it's about our unity in the worship of the living God. And I don't know about you, but I am not interested in the history, you know, the, the continuing history of this church if we are not filled and walking and led and, and united by the Holy Spirit. Because you know what that would be? It would just be an organization. And I'm not interested in an organization. I'm interested in this organism that God has given birth to. And so... If we want to get past the endless comparison, the exclusion, the jealousy, the gossip, everything else that divides us, that prevents the full expression of our worship, then friends, we must be filled with the Spirit. And so you can see this, this, it goes hand in hand with your personal expression of the gifts of the Spirit. And so we'll pray for that. And so this is an opportunity. If you have not been... Uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit and received, um, you know, uh, supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is an opportunity to pray for that this morning. But this is also an opportunity for, for the many of us who have been baptized in the Spirit, who have imbibed the Spirit, to come to God once again and say, Lord, fill me again. Fill me again, not just for my own personal benefit and the power of my personal ministry, but for the unity and the, the trueness of the worship of this church without which we're condemned to disunity and ineffective, powerless worship. God, we need more of your spirit so that we can actually, so that the name New Covenant Christian Community Church would not just be a title, but it would be an actual description of what we do, of who we are, that people would look at us, that we would, we would look at us and say, man, I feel like I'm in the New Testament. Huh? I feel like this is, this is really community. Now, I know a lot of us, we, like Bethany said, this, this past 18 months, it may have been the most emotionally stretching season, the most isolating season of your entire life, and that's true for, you know, two-thirds of the world, probably. So you're not strange. What that means is we need this all the more to combat the isolation, to bring unity, and that can only happen by the unity of the Holy Spirit. And so, like I said, this is not just about personal fulfillment, although you get that thrown in. This is not just about power for ministry, although you do get that thrown in. This is about the Holy Spirit so that we would have unity, so that we would worship in spirit and truth as the New Testament intends. I'm going to invite uh, the prayer team, uh, any elders and wives who uh, are here to make their way to the front. Um, and I'm going to do two things. I'm going to make an invitation. Um, 
If you'd like to come to the front, number one, to receive, maybe for the first time, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, as um, the, the New Testament describes, um, come up. Receive prayer. Have uh, hands laid on you if you're comfortable with that. And, um, and we're going to ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit, to release supernatural giftings. But then I also want to invite you up. Um, and if you don't want to come up, I'm also going to pray over everybody who, who is going to put their hand up in a minute um, to receive maybe a new filling of the, of, of the Holy Spirit for the sake of unity, for the sake of the depth and profundity of our worship. Amen? So I'm going to pray. Um, if, if you feel like that's you, in other words, that second group that, you know, maybe you don't want to, you've, you've had a baptism of the Spirit, but maybe you're, you're at that place where you're asking, Lord, I need, I need more. I, I need a second filling. I need a third filling. I need my hundredth filling. <laughs> Would you stand with me? And put your hand up, and I want to pray with you. And then as we, as we, uh, as we continue here, um, feel free to make your way to the front, receive prayer from, uh, from the team, and um, let's pray together. Hmm. Father God, we thank you for the beautiful picture of church that's uh, written for us in Scripture. Lord, that you've ordained not just an organization, uh, an institution, but, but a living organism made out of living stones, the body of Christ, which is your church. And Father, we recognize um, we are not always as passionate for the presence and the gifts of the Holy Spirit as you have been for us. And so, Lord God, we come to you today uh, with empty hands, asking you once again to fill us so that the character of NC4 would truly reflect the new covenant Christian community, Lord, that you ordained, that is marked by unity, that is marked by a type of worship that gives you pleasure and that unifies us. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you just descend on us right now? Fill us once again. We ask you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.